I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Anne-Marie and Mike from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today, we're talking about why so many tech companies are cutting jobs at the minute the crypto crash and how it might affect the stock market and we give you the perfect stock investment to weather the current market volatility so mike and marie welcome to this week's stock club podcast Uh, just everyone listening there you know the story by now but i just want to remind you that we have an extended version of stock club that you can listen to in the my wall street app for free the extended piece is that Mike and Anne-Marie are going to pitch me two stocks at the end of the show. I'm going to pick one and we're going to hear the extended version of this pitch. If you listen in the app, you can listen to that extra piece, but you can also read a first look about that company as well. So you get loads of extra content in the app. If you want to find that, if you want to check that out, there's a link for this episode in the notes for today's show. Just go into notes, click that link and you can go straight to this episode. Guys, before we get in, we've lots to talk about today, but Anne-Marie, I want to come back to a, a tweet you shared with us uh, not long before we started recording this. Uh, a few weeks ago on, on Stock Club, we were talking about the buy now, pay later landscape. And you shared a tweet that shows uh, buy now, pay later being offered on a, a sandwich, um, a $19 sandwich. Is this kind of peak buy now, pay later? Or have we have we reached the top or the bottom or or the I don't know what? This is, yeah, this is the absolute top of buy now, pay later, which is funny because I spoke about that, that a firm's management team was like, we're ready to go into grocery stores. We think people should be using like our service for buying groceries and now you can buy sandwiches with it perfect i'm sure after you have eaten the sandwich and regretted it and then you get billed you know for the next four months i think that will really turn people off sandwiches so maybe it's actually a diet plan like there's definitely moral concerns about this but i also think um and i'll share the link for the tweet in the notes for the show in, in the my wall street app but i think people should have been more outraged about the absolute state of the sandwich that was being offered <laughs> it's the most disgusting looking sandwich i've ever seen in my life it's a very new york sandwich they really shove a lot of meat into those i was in new york like last year and i got a pastrami on rye and it was like a full steak they just shoved it in there and i was like there's at least three sandwiches worth of meat in here there's no need you were a New Yorkian for a certain period in your life. What's your thought? Who is the better sandwiches, Dublin or New York or Galway? Oh, Jesus, New York, I would imagine. <laughs> but <laughs> I was looking at it and it's, it definitely looked like one of those things as well where it's 19 euro for the sandwich, which is bad enough. About 5 euro for delivery charge, 6 euro on fees. You end up paying 40 quid for a hungover lunch that you didn't even want in the first place instead of just leaving your house. It's a tax on the lazy, I think. <laughs> and get reminded of that hangover then for the next three months as you're paying it off. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, it, was, it was one of the funnier ones. Let's move on, though, to, I suppose, some more real topics. And, of course, the big 
talk over the last couple of weeks in the stock market has been compounded and, and all the fears have been compounded by the news that dozens of tech companies are announcing job cuts. So some of the biggest cuts announced recently have come from the likes of Tesla, who Elon Musk earlier this week confirmed there, there were cuts coming. Coinbase, who announced last week they were cutting 18% of its workforce and Redfin, who are cutting 6% of its workforce. However, other companies like Stitch Fit, Stitch Fix, excuse me, Robinhood and Peloton have also cut their headcounts by varying degrees over the past few months, which has, as I said, added a lot of fear and uncertainty for employees and also for what is already a very, very volatile market. Mike, I'm going to come over to you first on this. We've seen like a pretty rapid increase in layoff announcement over the past kind of week or two, and especially in the kind of broader tech space. What, what's your thoughts on this? What should we make of this as investors? Yeah, I mean, we can quote an awful lot of individual reasons for each company and look at them, I suppose, one by one. But I think the focal point of all of this is the prospect of potential recession or, or at I, see, I suppose, the best, a slowdown in the economy and a changing of the tide when it comes to the wider macro environment. Yeah. So all of these companies you mentioned experienced huge growth at a time when interest rates were near zero and the Federal Reserve was buying assets to ensure... The economy and the market would survive, and it turns out actually prosper um, throughout the pandemic. This led to a kind of investing environment that left valuations at the door. Profitability didn't really matter, and it sucked in an awful lot of people into this process, like myself included. You know, it's impossible to watch your own decisions work out and your portfolio go up and decide, no, there's there's actually something fishy going on here. I don't deserve this. Like that's yeah. not how our brains work. That's not how humans think. So. Now, I think we're just feeling the hangover of this. We have inflation at 40-year highs and the Fed is scrambling to bring it down to slow down the economy and what it's targeting as something called a soft landing. Um, it just announced a 0.75 percentage point increase to the federal funds rate. It's the largest hike since 1994 and it'll likely do the same again next month. Uh, the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, has kind of drawn this line in the sand too where he's citing bringing down inflation as the number one kind of target. Okay. Uh, the quote here is, the worst mistake we could make would be to fail to bring down inflation. It's not an option. We have to restore price stability. Now, if you kind of read in between the lines there, that sounds very much like a man who is very willing to slow down the economy in order to do so. And that's why we're seeing so much infl- uh, recession fears right now. Yeah, so so you, you think you're thesis or your belief is that a lot of these companies are cutting jobs now in anticipation of a difficult few months and, and a potential recession in a couple of months yeah so like what we see there was that uh y combinator one sheet doing the rounds and it basically was a warning to all companies prepare for the worst i think this is what companies are doing now is preparing for the worst and also dealing with a bit of housekeeping too so i think the companies that you mentioned there they've fallen into this trap of growing too fast. Yeah. Sounds a bit silly to say out loud, but you know, the goal of the company is to grow. But but perhaps recognizing that during times of rapid growth and and recognizing for that what they are is like an inflated part of growth instead of extrapolating them out for years and years. So I, I again it's going back to human nature. Like when companies see good results, they assume it's through their own hard work and not some external factors. So it's tough to kind of admonish companies for overhiring to meet outsized demand at these points, but perhaps some more longer term plannings and a bit more realism back then would have avoided this situation now. 
So if you hear of a company announcing job cuts, let's take Tesla, for example, um, who announced earlier this week that it was cutting something, I think, about um, 3% of its total headcount, but it was mainly focused on its salaried workforce. You wouldn't instantly assume that that's a broken investment thesis or a broken company. It's rather um, a company that maybe took advantage of a good time in the market and now is now preparing itself for a leaner time in the market. Yeah, exactly. And like this is this is kind of a tough topic to talk about because we also have to realize that we're talking about real people here. You yeah. know, it's easy to talk from the bird's eye view of this is a business doing X, but there are real people losing their jobs here, you know? Yeah. And so we can't really kind of give the company too much credit and say, oh, they did what they needed to do because they are messing with a lot of people's lives. But the reality is at times of huge demand, these companies needed hands to man the ship. Now that the demand is no longer there, not only are they looking at dropping sales, but they're also looking at outsized costs and costs that they need to cut down. And the very easy way to do that is to cut staff. Yeah. The staff that they don't no longer need, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And Marie, I want to come over to you because, you know, we're talking about all these job cuts and I say the broader tech sector, you know, Tesla, is it a tech company? Is it a is it an auto is it a manufacturer? Is it a meme company? Who knows what it is these days? It's a but- battery company, man. <laughs> Um, but it's it's kind of more those broader kind of typically higher paid professional services jobs, uh, professional jobs, excuse me, that are, are being affected by these job cuts. On the flip side, you've spoken about previously the, the difficulties that many retailers and restaurants are having right now uh, in hiring workers. Why does tech seem to be having suddenly an overabundance of workers and service jobs having a complete lack of workers and, and some service you know, restaurants actually being closed because they can't get enough people to work in the, in the restaurant itself? Yeah, I, I think Mike kind of hit the nail on the head that there were, tech had this massive pull forward in terms of revenue at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and that meant that an awful lot of companies had this excess of cash and they needed you know, to bring in people to work. And tech was quite an easy sector to lure people in. You know, they have very good working conditions. In the United States, you often get really good comprehensive insurance, very good benefits. And they're more apt to handle the work from home push, because if you could do your work from a computer, then you can virtually work anywhere in the country. Whereas, you know, we did see these in-person jobs, you know, retail, restaurants, anything that requires labor took a massive hit. And I think, you know, it's really because that work is quite unappealing. And then on top of that, during the pandemic, it became even more expensive to have laborers um, within those fields because it, they were, you know, you had to align with all these COVID protocols. So it wasn't necessarily that companies were spending more because they were paying their employees more. It was more they had to spend more to protect their employees. And I also think it's worth mentioning that a number of workers were furloughed probably in the first year of the pandemic, year and a half from, you know, and everything from like the entertainment industry to restaurants to like virtually everything, any, any yeah. kind of in-person thing that, that was closed, they furloughed their staff. And I think that for a lot of people, that meant that they went home and kind of sat and thought about, you know, is the stress of working at this business, particularly when they began to come back. And I remember seeing photos from inside Starbucks's of, you know, people weren't coming into the Starbucks to order. They were all ordering online. And you had these baristas that were churning out hundreds of drinks an hour. And they said it's it's far worse than it ever was before the pandemic. I think that kind of gave a lot of workers a, a kind of mental reset where they said, I don't know if this work is worth it. Yeah. So not only now are these companies having to deal with the fact that people don't really want to work for them, a number of their staff that were furloughed at the beginning of the pandemic have left. So then they were starting with a much lower labor force to begin with, that they're now trying to replace these people who aren't that interested in working for them. And now they have this pressure of we need to raise wages to get people in the door. So it's a very difficult combination of factors. But who knows, maybe some of these these tech workers will rotate into a grocery store near you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I assume then this is linked, like sticking with the kind of service industry, this is linked with the, the growing unionization, third time lucky, movements we're seeing across the US. You know, Starbucks, Amazon and Apple. These are three major companies that are having to, I suppose, deal with the fact that their employees are unionizing. And, and it really seems like a new wave of, of this kind of unionization that we haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, definitely. It's It seems like people are, are, I think inflation in particular is put, putting an awful lot of pressure on people to suddenly say, well, if my cost of living is going up substantially, then my wage needs to go up substantially. And if you as an individual cannot negotiate that right within your company, then I feel like you would feel a tremendous amount of pressure to be going to your coworkers and saying, well, now is the time to unionize. I think there is enough pressure right now that people feel that unionization is the only logical step forward. And it'll be definitely interesting to see where this goes. On top of that, on We've been seeing leaked reports coming out of Amazon this week that they are running out of people to hire in many of their key warehouses because they're often built in towns where kind of the only like large hirer is Amazon. You know, they tend to move into places that had, you know, booming industries in like the 50s and 60s. And those have since left. I remember one of the locations they have in Alabama is in like an old train car building town or yeah. something like that. And they moved into that factory. Um but if your working conditions are so poor that you're turning over your staff so quickly that by 2024, there will be no one left in your town to hire, um, I think that's a pretty grave concern that probably people within the company feel will be addressed by unionization. So um, we might see some margin compression coming out of these these big names if if unionization is to continue to spread. Yeah. What, it's a bit what of a, a like, dystopian ter- nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What a terrifying prospect that Amazon are We're running, running out, out, of out of people to hire. <laughs> Yikes. quite scary just i suppose to wrap this kind of up then mike i'm going to come back to you uh back to kind of i suppose the tech companies which a lot of them are, are companies that we've been looking at over the past couple of years and, and maybe have even added to our shortlist um is there any of the companies in particular that you think are worth focusing on and that you know these job cuts might be emblematic of of bigger concerns within the company um highlighting three we were talking about already i think there's three companies that have gone through this layoff and are looking on very shaky ground at the minute in Coinbase, Coinbase uh, Robinhood and Redfin. Yeah. And these three are linked to a particular market that is itself receding. So we know that people trade more in the market, crypto or stock market, when the market is going up um, in this extended downturn or in crypto's case, an all-out crash, which I think we're going to discuss later. Coinbase and Robinhood are obviously going to suffer when they rely on people trading yeah. as their revenue source. Um, with Redfin, we're finally seeing the red-hot housing market cool off, especially with interest rates on the rise. So these are companies that are based on the success of an external market, which in an extended downturn of said market could be in danger. But again, that's me being quite a pessimist there as well. Yeah, you mentioned Redfin there. I, I read somewhere, I think it was last week, that at one point throughout 2020, 2020 one, the demand for Redfin was so high that they were hiring, I think, a thousand people a month at some stage. Um, so obviously we're we're seeing the we're at the other side of that definitely now. Um, let's move on though. And Mike, you obviously mentioned the the troubles the cryptocurrency markets are seeing. And as I said, if if we think us investors, us stock market investors, think we've had a bad time with S and P five hundred officially entering a bear market, market, I think if we can look over at our our friends over in the cryptocurrency markets and and feel a little bit better that we're not them at the moment. It's been absolute carnage on the cryptocurrency markets over the past few weeks. An estimated two trillion that's trillion dollars in value has been wiped off the broader market since its November highs. More specifically, we've seen the value of Bitcoin briefly fall beneath the, 
beneath the 20k mark for the first time since 2017 and other crypto related assets have been hit much worse um of course it was the infamous terra luna stablecoin which essentially lost all of its value 100 of its value while the crypto learning firm celsius has also blocked users from withdrawing money from their accounts last week uh Anne marie it seems like the, the last days of rome here in the cryptocurrency <laughs> markets uh, i know you wrote a piece on wednesday in the my wall street app about what's going on so can you kind of explain, give us a brief overview of, of what it, we are seeing in the crypto markets now? And I suppose most importantly for us on this podcast, is is there any equation or is there any spillover from what's happening in crypto onto, you know, I suppose, inverted commas, normal markets like the stock market that we deal with? Regulated markets is maybe the word I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I suppose, like, from a foundational level, the, the fear that we have in the stock market right now and the fear that we have in the crypto market are quite similar in that people think that we're heading into a recession and they want to have more cash, which is reasonable. That's something we see all the time. You know, yeah. they want to move their assets into something that's less risky. That's totally normal. However, the issue the crypto market is now having is that it's not really up to the challenge of handling this rotation. And it's not necessarily the coins themselves. Like it's not Bitcoin, it's not Ethereum. It's the the structure that has been built around them. So it's, um, you know, the companies and the way that the companies use these coins and the way they try and um, leverage off one another, the way they, they try and lend based upon them. Um, and I really think like that all boils down to like the, just the ridiculousness of, of cryptocurrency. You know, it's the marketing, it's the celebrities, it's it's the, the influencers that, you know, will be talking to you about any number of random coins and and really the kind of different exchanges and all their weird dealings and the complete lack of regulation it just means that the whole system feels a little bit less secure and comfortable than the stock market and we're really starting to see that take a toll right now just on that point Henry, but like you mentioned the lack of regulation and like isn't that kind of the point of cryptocurrencies or that it's self-regulating that there's no overseeing body yeah, I think that's like in theory that is the idea. Oh, the blockchain will regulate. We will all regulate one another. You know, we don't need to have a middleman. We don't need to pay people to be doing this. But like that doesn't work. Like Celsius, that company that you just mentioned in the intro that collapsed, that collapsed because their business model was completely irresponsible. They were essentially kind of like a savings account for cryptocurrency and you could give them crypto and they were offering like a 30% annual yield wow. on you putting Like how is that possible? Where do how I sign you, up? <laughs> how could you how could you make profit from that, that you guarantee people a 30% return? And then you need to be making additional income on top of that. And yeah. according to analysts, the only way that's possible is for them to be pumping like the riskiest, shadiest tokens and coins that they could possibly find. And now we have like half a million people locked out of their accounts and it's something like 8 billion assets is sitting frozen inside wow. this company, which is astounding and like we have it won't seen... be it won't be eight billion for long either the way it's going <laughs> yeah that is true <laughs> but it's like we've seen other instances of this where it's a guarantee of everything on the blockchain is secure but we have seen blockchains be hacked we have seen you know like We've had both OpenSea and Coinbase have had issues of people's like NFTs and cryptocurrency being stolen and transferred elsewhere. And then it's those companies' responsibilities to try and reverse it. But no, the blockchain should be doing that all itself. And 
interestingly, actually, Scott Galloway wrote a pretty good piece about this where he discussed in the broader financial market outside of cryptocurrency, it's more than half of the jobs within the financial sector are dedicated to trustworthiness. Essentially, yeah. people whose whole responsibility it is is to ensure that things are following regulations, to ensure that nothing too shady is happening. Nothing like that exists within cryptocurrency. There's no one you know, going into all the closets and poking around and making sure there's not some shady dude over at some exchange just skimming money off of everyone because it just like there's no foresight there's no way to do that the government is not involved yeah so it is the, yeah it's it's that thing of in theory the blockchain should be maintaining itself and it should be upholding a high standard but in practice it doesn't work because i don't think the technology has reached the level yet that we that it is capable of doing that and so oh, it's very it's very difficult because you know oh, it sounds great that we wouldn't have to spend a bunch of money to bring a bunch of regulators in to ensure that this financial system continues to run but in practice, like it's just not possible at the minute, the way that our current exchanges and services work. So with all of this trouble going on, I suppose, the broader crypto market, and, and, and in saying that, I know it's so different. Like there's there's coins, there's exchanges, there's, you know, there's companies just that are tangentially related to cryptocurrencies. But with all the trouble that's going on there, wh- what is the potential spillover that we could see in the stock market? It Will it affect us as, you know, retail investors um, as much as people might fear? I would say the biggest concern for us is going to be people are going to become scared of investing. Yeah. Because it was something like the vast majority of people who currently own cryptocurrency have only entered the market in the last two years. And similarly, we saw a huge acceleration of retail investors entering the market in the last two years during the pandemic because there was an excess of cash. Um, you know, people were home and they were bored. And I would say that probably the retail investors who entered the stock market and the people who bought cryptocurrency, the overlap there is probably quite significant. Mm. And so I would be concerned that a bunch of young people are about to lose a lot of money in cryptocurrency and maybe they'll liquidate their positions because they're really nervous, which may or may not be a good idea depending on, I don't know, what cryptocurrency you're holding. And then they will just go off investing and they won't be interested in it anymore and they'll kind of walk away from not only cryptocurrency but the stock market. And I think that could have quite significant um, long-term impacts in, in terms of the market. Um, in terms of how big an impact crypto, like a full collapse of crypto would have on the stock market itself, it actually doesn't represent all that much in terms of its market size in comparison to even a, like a company like Apple. It's like yeah. currently the cryptocurrency market is worth like half of what Apple is worth. And in terms of like huge parts of our economy, like our housing market, it's v- tiny. It's a drop in the bucket. So from that perspective, like we're not going to see a full financial meltdown. Like this is not 2008, mainly because a lot of the financial institutions and banks, you know, that are so important to upholding the stock market are in no way involved with cryptocurrency because yeah. for their own internal regulatory reasons, they have not become involved in the space. So we should be okay. But I'd say people, yeah, might be a bit scared of investing for a bit. And I think that would be a shame. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of more. Even, um, even to add to that, though, I think this pretty intense time of like wealth destruction between crypto the stock market up and i would say like almost the tech crash that we've seen and then combined with the layoffs that are predominantly in tech companies as well that's all going to affect a similar enough demographic of kind of 25 and up millennials that that age group that are involved in tech interested in tech so while it's probably small enough i do think it's targeted at a very specific um a very specific group of people that are probably feeling a lot of pain right now which it's 
not great. Yeah, I remember around the time of the whole GameStop bubble, I suppose, just over a year ago. I think I think on this podcast, Rory said that one of the big tragedies of it would be that, again, a lot of people, would this would be their first experience of investing and especially the ones that got caught holding the bag it would just turn them off it for life and 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 really kind of lock them out of a system that does work if it's if it's played right coming i suppose back then i I, I, like one thing that strikes me about this whole thing and mike i might throw this over to you there's a lot of crossover so you know the actual impact on the market as a whole might not be as significant as as it's is played out in the media but there are companies like coinbase who are obviously publicly listed and then there's other companies like tesla and block both of whom have pretty significant holdings in assets like Bitcoin. Is there any worries there as, as you know, both Block and Tesla are companies on, on the My Wall Street shortlist about their exposure to, to cryptocurrencies? Tesla, no. That, that was all kind of a bit of Elon Musk messing and making headlines and stuff. I wouldn't be too worried. But uh, Block, for sure. Um, yeah. Block have kind of very much invested heavily into crypto trading and especially bitcoin trading so um as we said with with coinbase earlier and kind of people aren't trading when the market's going down this is definitely going to affect blocks revenues although the only thing i would say is that while a lot of revenue comes from bitcoin trading not a lot of actual profits come from bitcoin trading the margins on it are very poor and you'll actually notice in uh blocks earnings reports they will do a section kind of revenue x um bitcoin trading revenue so i wouldn't be overly concerned about like the actual kind of business model but it's definitely going to affect numbers for sure have either of you guys ever gone to a blocks website (laughs) (laughs) i was on it recently why it's just the most chaotic website in the world it's like (laughs) when you go on and there's like i think because because jack dorsey owns owns title as well isn't it so like there's a there's a a track by jay-z playing called block vibes or something but when you go into like the people page it's all of their photos like photoshopped onto cubes it's just the most (laughs) clip art the new new logo is awful as well yeah it's yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh, anyway, let's not go, let's not start down the Jack Dorsey road. Finally, I, I I suppose I want to wrap this up, and I'm going to throw this over to both of you. Some people have compared what we're seeing with crypto as as a whole right now to kind of a dot com crash at the start of the thousands. You know, that was I suppose the bubble of of you know the internet and and these tech companies that were linked to the internet, and you know there was a big sell off, and and you know there was kind of a cleansing fire and, and the companies that survived like Amazon went on to be incredibly successful companies while other companies that got wiped out potentially maybe needed to be wiped out at that point. Do you guys think that this is what we're seeing with crypto right now? Will from the ashes of of this kind of massive meltdown um, come some of the better ideas or the more functional ideas within this whole crypto blockchain um, universe? Yeah, I think you use the word cleansing there, which, um, which is an interesting one because like from a this is an optimistic outlook and I have a very pessimistic outlook as well <laughs> that I'll cap this point off with. But I do imagine that there are many crypto enthusiasts right now who aren't unhappy about the recent crash and who might even be celebrating it because it's gone a long distance to kind of separating the chaff from the wheat. And and there, this is a, another tangent, but there are people called Bitcoin maximalists who only believe in Bitcoin and think everything else is just a waste of time. And okay. This isn't particularly about them, but for true long-term believers in crypto, I wouldn't see them being unhappy that algorithmic stablecoins like Terra are 
crashing or that murky DeFi projects that offer 30% returns guaranteed or dodgy NFTs of cartoon monkeys that are now worthless. Like this is opportunists coming in, seeing a market that is prime to take advantage of and make a quick buck from. And a lot of what has truly been, a lot of what has been truly crashing, I know Bitcoin is down over 60% or whatever it is. Um, but what has been truly crashing and going to zero has likely been issues that are problematic for the crypto market yeah. as a whole. You know, it's these shysters that are coming in and tarnishing the name of the wider industry. So this recent culling might have positive long-term implications or what you said, like a cleansing of the market. Yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts, Anne-Marie? Are you a Bitcoin maximalist? <laughs> I don't know if I would exactly use that label, but I would agree that I think like this is a necessary step in maybe our awareness of what Web3 is. I think that term got launched about six months ago and everyone all of a sudden went running around looking for a Web3 company to invest in. But we don't really know what Web3 means for any of us yet. Mm. And that is very similar to what happened in the dot-com bubble where all of a sudden everybody knew what the internet was on like, oh, I've read about it in a magazine type of way, but hadn't really used the internet. And then as like 10 years afterwards, as we had substantial internet penetration and people actually were using the web, it was possible for a company like Amazon that was set up to sell things online, suddenly, oh, you can sell to anyone who has an internet connection. And a lot of people do have an internet connection. I think like this is quite similar. Like we are aware that there is a conceptualization of something like the metaverse. And we are aware that in the future, maybe everything that we do will somehow involve a digital token or a cryptocurrency. But we have yet to see what that will actually look like or how it yeah. will actually be applied. And so I will say that undoubtedly, there are probably going to be companies in the future that operate within this space that will probably do very, very well, and they will change their investors' lives. But as of right now, I don't think we're in the position to identify them. So I do think that this is the necessary collapse that will allow the actual legitimate players within this field to rise and you know, make a legitimate claim to, oh, this is how we plan to make money and operate in a reasonable manner yeah absolutely interesting okay guys so let's move on then and just before we go on to our mailbag i want to remind you guys that if you listen to this podcast in the my wall street app you'll get the full version of one of our elevator pitches at the end of this episode it's completely free to listen there all you need to do is set up a my wall street account there's a link for the episode in the notes for today's show so just tap on that and enjoy more stock club this week um so let's dig into the mailbag and after all the <laughs> doom and gloom we've been speaking about on this show this show is getting very pessimistic mike maybe we you need to start bringing a bit more optimism to the show um but we've been asked to pick a stock that might weather the current market conditions a bit better than the tech stocks that we are so used to talking about uh, maybe a so-called rainy day stock if you want to put it like that so Anne marie i believe you have a stock in mind that that kind of might might not be the worst kind of company to look at uh, at the moment yeah, I, and it kind of came to my brain because I updated its in-app comment recently, which is, I'm never sure, is it Markel or Markel? I would say Markel. Markel okay. is, is Meghan Markel. Is Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're so not I, pitching Meghan Markel. But actually, yeah, I was also thinking, is it like Angela Merkel? But anyway, it's fine. Um, it's M-A-R, so Markel. Um, so basically, Markel is kind of often called the baby Berkshire because its business model is near identical to Berkshire Hathaway, which for those who don't know, Berkshire Hathaway 
runs insurance companies and insurance mm. is great for generating a whole bunch of cash because um, you don't have to pay out unless you know something happens and so that allows these companies to take that cash and invest it into other things so then they become this great little diversified stock if you want to pick them up um, Markel operates almost identically to Berkshire Hathaway with the exception being that they have a bit more of advantage in the insurance field because they insure weird niches so they like insure gig workers and buses and trucking companies and, and stuff like that and they've done that very very successfully for more than 100 years I believe and that then means that they take all this cash and invest it in a style that is near identical to um, Warren Buffett the management team there they're often referred to as being his disciples it's it's quite a wow. similar technique but they invest in a lot of companies that we would know Apple is like one of their largest holdings Home Depot is one of their largest holdings Texas Instruments is so it's like stuff that we would know kind of in the last three-ish years the stock has been moving pretty slowly because they tend to be slightly more invested in value than maybe growth. But if we're heading into a recession and into a bear market, that is actually quite advantageous. Um, so the stock has been quite resilient in, in current market conditions. Yeah, it's 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 also kind of nice in comparison to Berkshire Hathaway because it's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit younger. It's a bit more quick moving, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so that means that it's maybe a slightly more exciting option, but it's still a very safe option because it has the same attributes that attract people to Berkshire Hathaway. It's highly diversified, highly experienced management team, performs very consistently quarter after quarter. Yeah, so it's nice. It's it's a nice option for people who are maybe a bit afraid in the, <laughs> with the with the current downturn. Yeah, I was going to ask. I'm just looking at its stock chart here, and it, it's nice to see a year to date stock chart that's actually in the green. Um, yeah. And and I was going to ask, you know, what what has insulated them against this kind of wider market volatility? Um, but but I assume it is that focus on kind of value stocks and the broad range of diversification that it has within its own kind of portfolio. Yeah, it seems to be that the con- like the concentration on value and it's it it more most recently has been quite like quite well discussed in terms of analysts because they feel that if we are going into a recession, we tend to rotate out of growth and into value. And it's been a long time kind of since value stocks have, have had their day in the sun. So, um, yeah, it could be quite an interesting option if we are in a prolonged recession. Absolutely. Do you know if management like being called the baby Berkshire? <laughs> is, is that know. a condescending kind of thing or is it uh, is it a compliment i haven't heard anything but um I can't, I can't remember the ceo's name but he like loves warren buffett loves him and yeah. he they um every year when berkshire hathaway has that investor day in omaha markel books out the i think it's the ballroom of the hotel on the same day yeah. and like host an event immediately afterwards so wow. I think it's an association that they are quite happy with. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's not bad to be called like the baby <laughs> best investor ever. <laughs> so I've been called mini Michael Jordan. It's like, all right, yeah, take that. Fair like. enough. Yeah, do you take that? True, true. So you can read um, the full comment o- uh, update or the, f- the full um, stock thesis that we have in the app now. I'll leave the link for that in the notes for today's show as well. Okay, guys, let's move on to the elevator pitch. So you guys know the story by now. I'm going to ask each of you to pitch me a 30 second or 60 second, depending on, on how much research you've done, pitch for a company. And I'm going to pick one and we're going to chat about it in more depth in the extended episode. Anne-Marie, I'm going to come to you first. What company cool. are you pitching me today? Well, I'm a bit upset about my pitch, to be honest, because I picked, I wrote this company down maybe three weeks ago and I said, yeah. oh, I'm going to have a look at this company. I'll get like eventually. And then I went on vacation last week and I come back and Rory had already 
pitched it in one of our internal meetings. So I'm a bit upset Classic because I kind of got I kind of got scooped. But um, I'll pitch it here on the podcast so that he can't do it in the future. <laughs> so um, the company I took a look at is McCormick and Co. They're the very famous spice maker, but they also manufacture seasonings and condiments and some other flavoring products. Apparently, they spend an awful lot of time designing flavoring for baby food. So that's okay. great if you have an interest in that. Company has a twenty. 20- <laughs> How do they come up with the flavor of breast milk? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> this isn't uh, this isn't human enough. Oh god. So try get back on track after that. Sorry to bring uh, down the tone. Okay, so in the spice market, if we move on to something else that they operate in, they control 20% share of an $11 billion spice market. That's pretty wow. good. Uh, for 2020, their sales were $5.6 billion, which is astounding. Great for people who love to season their food. And they have a 17% operating margin, which is pretty good. The one thing that kind of bummed me out is they only have about $300 million cash on hand, and they have $5.3 billion in long-term debt. So that was a bit... Wow. Wasn't a big fan of that, but they are a strong dividend payer, and it's a very old company. It's like over 120 years old, and it's quite like a tried and true, um, quite tested stock, and it seems to be something that um, an awful lot of like old-timey analysts are a fan of. So not the prettiest picture, but, you know- you gotta love you gotta love steak seasoning. So well, that's it. Yeah, I actually believe that that uh, it's a it's a favorite of our our friend over at the multi fuel, Jason Moser, as well. I remember him mentioning it before. So yeah, very interesting company. Thanks for that, Anne Marie. Mike, what company are you pitching me? The company I'm pitching is called Zoetis. Okay, uh, it's the world's largest animal care company. So it manufactures medicine and vaccinations for pets and livestock. Pets and livestock. Uh, it was initially a subsidiary of Pfizer called Pfizer Animal Health. And then it was spun off in 2013 to become its own independent company. So, yeah, that is Zoetis. Zoetis, great name. I'm not sure how to pronounce it properly. <laughs> we have a lot of problems with pronunciation in this uh, podcast. We could probably do yeah. it a few elocution lessons. I think we just need to do the Irish mumble where like, yeah, Zoetis. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for those pitches. Because I'm pr- probably pretty sure we're going to, we might see McCormick appear somewhere else if Rory's pitching it as well. I'm going to go with Zoetis for this week. So, Mike, let's hear your full pitch on Zoetis. So, guys, if you're not listening to this in the My Wall Street app, this is where we're going to leave you today. However, if you want to find out more about Zoetis and the reasons why we think it might be a good investment, jump on over to the My Wall Street app and you can listen to the rest of our conversation on the company for free. All you need to do is create a free account. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on future episodes of Stock Club or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-O-D at MyWallST.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. From me, Mike and Anne-Marie, thanks for joining us today and we'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.